Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter at underscore NJ Watson. And today we're doing our monthly Paper Scraps episode where we answer some of your TV writing questions about writing routine formats, international writers, as well as taking a look at the latest TV writing news for June. So let's get started. Yeah, so it's been a big month for Paper Team. In particular, we have set some new records, right? Absolutely. Uh, And uh, last month in May, we hit over 10,000 downloads in a single month. I think that's an average of over 320 downloads every single day in May. That's amazing. I feel like when we first started, that's how many we got for an episode. So now we're getting it daily. (laughs) Probably. Well, to that point, actually, earlier this month in June, we also hit a new record of one day, 24 hour downloads with over a thousand downloads in a single day. Amazing. And when do we get our uh, residuals and our money for that? Oh, there's no residual on podcasting. I think uh, you're confusing with TV. (laughs) (laughs) Why did I even get into this (laughs) The goodness of uh, your heart. Yes, uh, that that is true. Patting in the back. (laughs) (laughs) It is worth noting that our huge success is in large part due to our TV running program series. Absolutely. I mean, that's been such an incredible run of episodes for us. And it seems like people have really gotten a lot out of it. So we were super happy to be able to bring all of that to you guys. We also then followed it up with the the Fox episode after the other networks. And we're going to hope to continue to do that with some of the others like Nickelodeon, maybe HBO, uh, any of those those network fellowships that come along, we're going to try to cover for you in future time. Absolutely. And the goal would be to do them around the time of their application process so that we don't just release them randomly in the middle of the year without any context. So that's why we haven't really released, for example, the Nickelodeon one. It happened way after the window of application for the program. So we will see where that leads us in the next few months. And on that, we also have a little bit of a, a bittersweet kind of news to announce. Yes, yeah, so we have some some really great good news and bad news, uh, depending on your perspective. Our mentee, Paul Chang, has been killing it out there. And at this stage of the process, he has actually had a couple of staffing meetings at places i'm not gonna say it's directly because of us he's obviously been in some of the programs like cape and uh he's, he's just placed he just i think placed, he just won yeah. the the tracking board tracking feature board. competition as well so um, absolutely yeah so he's been lucky enough to have some really exciting meetings and as a result of that he uh, has got himself a freelance script and he's going to be busy working on that for the next little bit so we're going to have to just push the mentorship stuff off a little bit until he's done with that and he's he's got his priorities straight and he can uh, get back to the mentorship process right so we're kind of in a holding pattern right now because our last episode on the mentorship process was about the outline of his pilot Mid-Death Crisis. And so we will resume the next episode about the draft of Mid-Death Crisis at some point, hopefully this year, we can't really give you exact details. We're still figuring out on our end. And obviously Paul with his own schedule is figuring things out. So we don't want to overload him, especially in this sort of transitional phase where he's getting his first episode credit and then all these different awesome things that are happening with him. That's why we're in this holding pattern where we're waiting to see and we can't really promise you a deadline for this pilot. Right. And I mean, like, ultimately, this was the end goal of the mentorship was to get a writer to a point where they are starting to get work and they're starting to, you know, potentially be staffed and things like that. So it's amazing that he's kind of already at this point and we're only halfway through. So we're very, very happy for him. And we will keep all of you updated on uh, when we'll be resuming this process or how it will go forward from here. And we also wanted to give a special shout out to our new patron subscribers. So thanks to Donna, Alyssa, Michael, Brianna. Uh, We really appreciate all of your support and uh, it helps to keep bringing this show to you guys every week. Absolutely. And now let's look at some reviews because believe it or not, some people like our podcast and comment on it on the iTunes page, at least. Really? 
Yes. I've never heard of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me enlighten you to a couple of those messages. One was by T. Taylor297, who said, Thank you. I am so thankful for the entire team. Apparently, we're a whole team, a paper team, some may say. Yeah, there you go. It is a paper team. Yes. Uh, I was fortunate long ago to be an actual writer's assistant, and I wish your show had existed so that I could have had the insight it provides. If you want to write for TV, which I still do, this podcast is a must. And that's from Tony Taylor in Orlando, Florida. Awesome. Thank you, Tony. The next one we have is from Beck Brody, who says, hilarious and insightful. Nick and Alex are fantastic. They have such a refreshing and fun podcast that has helped me get a new perspective and answer questions about the entertainment business in such a fresh and approachable way. They are hilarious too. Note to the wise, don't listen to this podcast while you're doing your makeup. I may have had to redo it a couple of times. <laughs> I feel like I'm being put on the spot right now to tell some kind of joke about the makeup, but Maybe. I won't. Yeah, don't don't listen to our podcast when you're doing your makeup, Alex. Yes, that's my uh, morning routine every Monday. Now, the other review we did want to mention is by Who Rules the World? Is girls? that a rhetorical question? Is, girls? It's just from girls? Perhaps. Yeah. Well, or, or, the, or Queen Bee, maybe. Sure, let's go with that. The title of the Who Rules the World review is So Current. I could be the poster gal for Time's Up been at the spec feature slash TV writing, etc. circus for decades. Their info is most current, realistic, applicable. I pass info onto my newbie writer adult son. Amazing how quickly they've become acclimated and successful. Thank you for sharing with us all. I was in the soup circus before I became a mom. I chose motherhood over the soup due to the stress of starving and having unreliable pay. I was a nurse when I tried to get into the business. So glad I had bedpans and babies to supplement my meager assistant income. Never quit. Yeah, that's good advice. It's all about uh, perseverance and persistence. So keep it up. That's the key to success. And now we got to mention some of our other mentions on Twitter. Mention the mentions. Uh, the first one is from Jennifer Dunn, who is at writer Jen Dunn. And she says, aspiring TV writers, if y'all haven't been listening to the Paper Team podcast, TV writing fellowship series with TV calling and NJ Watson, then I highly recommend it. I legit did a little shimmy when I saw the newest episode up today. Mm, and Nick is actually doing a shimmy right now. Yeah, I just knocked the microphone. That's why it's <laughs> while I was shimmying. So <laughs> Beautiful. And then we have Alyssa Rivas, who said, listening to TV Calling and MJ Watson's latest episode at Paper Team. So glad I found this podcast. And you guys totally made me realize I need to jump on the hashtag WGA staffing boost kick. So thank you. Well, thank you for listening to us. Mm -hmm. One from Balance 510 says, I love the new episodes focusing on the different TV fellowships. Short and sweet. Nice. Exactly. And another one from Ajoke uh, at Filmstar83. If you plan on applying to the ABC Fellowship Program this year, you have to listen to the Paper Team podcast hosted by TV Calling and NJ Watson. They sat down with Christy Shooten, who oversees the program, to discuss everything you've ever wanted to know about it. So, Once again, huge success for our Inside the Tea Running Program yeah. series. If you missed any of those, feel free to go back and listen to them. They are going to be relevant for a while, I think. Exactly. And uh, one small mention on Twitter from Paige, who said, just finished the finale of Six Feet Under, and wow, just wow, I'm completely shattered and utterly blown away by how incredible it was. I made it a priority after at TV calling spoke so highly of it. And I'm so glad I did. That is next level television. See our recommendations of TV shows are paying <laughs> off. There you go. All right, now let's get into some questions about TV writing that were submitted to us. The first one was an email from Virginie in French. And uh, to read this French email, please welcome 
Nick Watson. Oh, God. All right. Here, here's, here's my best attempt at French pronunciation. Uh, bonjour, Alex. Uh, tout d'abord, je tiens à vous féliciter pour votre parcours <laughs> et votre <laughs> podcast. Uh, je suis tellement content d'avoir trouvé ces podcasts qui joignent l'utile et l'utile en plus de l'agréable. Uh, that's as far as I'm going to go. Because, Excellent. Yeah. Well, the next line was in English. It was practice writing and practice English. Okay. <laughs> Maybe I need to practice writing and practice French. All right. Let me finish this email and uh, we'll give you the how, English was, how was my pronunciation there, Alex? It was like a, a strong five out of ten. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so for our Francophile listeners, I'll just finish this quick email. Je l'ai découvert il y a seulement un mois et je me régale. J'essaye de les écouter dans l'ordre. Autant dire qu'il m'en reste encore beaucoup avant d'être à jour. Je me permets de vous envoyer ce message privé car je voudrais me former dans l'écriture de, de séries aux US, dans l'idéal à New York, et je suis à la recherche d'informations sur des formations ou autres. Peut-être que c'est naïf de ma part de vous demander cela, vous n'avez peut-être pas le temps. Mais j'imaginais que vous étiez la bonne personne pour m'orienter et me donner un avis, qui ne tente rien à rien. Les informations sont tellement vastes et le cursus tellement différent de la France, j'avoue être un peu perdu. J'ai écouté le podcast « Should you pay for TV running education » qui était très intéressant. J'ai lu aussi vos articles sur les visas, j'ai fait pas mal de recherches sur le net, mais pas satisfaisantes, je dois mal m'y prendre certainement. Si jamais vous avez le temps de converser, ce serait formidable, sinon je comprendrai que c'est compliqué. Merci encore pour ce site et ce podcast plein de resource. Well, the TLDR in English is something akin to... I think my pronunciation was better. How dare you? So the English version goes, I would like to educate myself on how to write TV shows in the US, ideally in New York. I'm looking for information on courses or anything on that topic. The curriculum is so different in France. I'm a bit lost. I've listened to the podcast, Should You Pay for TV Running Education, which was very interesting. And I also read all your posts on the different visas. Any help would be appreciated. Well, uh, we've already covered a few times, like you mentioned in the TV running education episode, about ways of learning and educating yourself about TV running. And I think that is why we have this podcast is because we want to give access to that information because you don't have to pay thousands of dollars for a USC or UCLA course to get that information. Practice makes perfect at the end of the day. What you can learn is the basics of the craft, stuff about structure, stuff about specs, pilots, and everything we've been teaching so far. And that's why we're making it public. So something that's the basic level of understanding of how TV writing works. Absolutely. If you go back to our recent TV writing resources episode, where it's just a huge list of different things that you can look at, there are a ton of great books in there that I definitely recommend checking out. And that, you know, even while I was doing my master's of screenwriting, which was, you know, great and very informative, I was reading a lot of these books and I honestly felt like I, I learned more about the craft and the structure from the books themselves. And then the course for me was more a matter of putting it into practice, putting myself on deadlines and getting feedback and, and building a group of people around me. So yeah, if you, if you want to learn the craft itself, you can do that yourself in your own time. Yeah, I definitely agree that in terms of the classes and the courses, like you just mentioned, I feel like the big positive about those things is the accountability aspect. It's the fact that you are surrounded by peers or people who are up and coming and they have deadlines in the same way that you have deadlines. And then you can share uh, your scripts, your content and get feedback. And I feel like that's where the growth happens. However, like we mentioned multiple times in the past, Anywhere you are, you can create this community. Even if you are in France, actually, there are online websites where you can find other people like you. And in terms of moving to the US and working here, I feel like that is a hot topic. It's very difficult. I'm not going to sugarcoat it, but I think there's ways around, well, not around the visas, but at least around getting staffed as the first goalpost. You can do intermediary steps, either it's getting education here or getting other kinds of jobs that are going to sponsor you here and get a little bit of a foot 
foothold in America before you go all in in terms of TV writing, especially if you're at the that initial step where you're still figuring out how to write TV and all those different elements. Now, the second thing I did want to mention in terms of France specifically is that when I moved to France, and I've been very vocal about this, television didn't really exist as it does now. At least the TV industry didn't exist in the same way that it does now. However, since I moved away, there are definitely some schools that I would recommend looking into. The, the big one is obviously La Femis. Since I moved away, they, well, maybe it was despite me, but they created a <laughs> course all about TV writing and they bring in top tier showrunners. I'm talking your David Milch, your Dick Wolf, your Tom Fontana. Most of those have written for cable or network TV and they really have the ins and outs of how TV running rooms work. So anyway, my whole point is, I think now more than ever, maybe 10 years ago is different, but now in 2019, you have that access that can help you learn TV running in a way that 10 years ago wasn't the case. Right. And even if you don't want to go to a traditional school or university, there are a ton of online resources and courses that you can do these days as well. And, you know, just make sure that it's being taught by someone who's reputable and, and, you know, has a good kind of reputation. There are even like the masterclass things that you can download. There are, you know, these are podcasts. There's the podcast, I live and dialogue in LA that is basically just like a live recording of this guy's classes from screenwriting at Yale. So, you know, there, there are a ton of resources you can find out there to educate yourself in whatever way is most comfortable for you. All right. And our next question comes from Joao, who asks from our TV writing Facebook group, do you write while listening to music? If so, what is the music that gets you wanting to write? That's a good question. I, I do often listen to music when I write. Um, some of that is sort of like a white noise thing to block out the distractions around me in the house or whatever it happens to be to help me focus on things. Other times it is for kind of inspiration and getting me in the right mood. So it really just depends on, on what I'm writing. You know, uh, I often go and find um, sort of soundtracks from movies or shows or whatever that are similar to what I want to be right. So if it's some sci-fi kind of thing, you know, I'll go find like the moon soundtrack or whatever it happens to be. Sometimes it's a little harder for comedies. There's not as many like, here's a comedy soundtrack <laughs> to listen to with like, like Benny Hill or something. <laughs> so other times I just kind of will find something that's relaxing for me that doesn't have as many words in it in case it's distracting, you know, something chill, like chill step or like classical or, you know, just kind of like um, guitar and piano and jazzy kind of stuff. Just get me in that headspace. I'm kind of a, a similar uh, listener myself. I would say the big through line is that I'm going to pick something that matches the emotion I want out of the scene. So if, if I'm running something a little bit more poppy, a little bit more uh, networky, soapy, I'm going to be listening to pop music, for example. But if it's something more moody, like a pure piece, I'm going to be listening to something that has a score. That's the, the big thing for me. Uh, I will say most times, actually, I don't really listen to music because especially when I'm at the stage where I'm figuring things out, whether it's uh, with a structure or the scene or the dialogue, I don't want to meddle with my mind by adding another stimuli with music on top of just concentrating on what the characters want or the dialogue or the rhythm of the scene. Now, in terms of the rewrite, I feel like I, I need to be in a certain kind of emotion or emotional state to write some of the scenes. So that's where something like a score may come in, because if it's like something very emotional, very sad, that definitely helps bring the mood down. It's interesting you mentioned, you know, not wanting to overwhelm yourself with stimuli when you're trying to kind of do more of the story breaking side of things. Whenever I drive anywhere, I've always got a podcast on or I've got music on or something. I'm always just kind of like overwhelming myself with stimuli throughout the day. And I was like, you know, what if I just use this time to be brainstorming and thinking instead? And so I just hit pause on, you know, my 
whatever you call it now, audio player in my car. It's not a CD player. I don't use CDs. <laughs> and instead of listening to an hour of a podcast, I just sat there brainstorming ideas for the next pilot I want to write. And it was actually really fruitful. And I could, you know, say, hey, Siri, and take a note and, and just kind of dictate what I was thinking. And then later on, I'll take that all down as notes. And I actually was getting productive work done while I was driving around instead. So I definitely understand what you're saying in terms of like, I think if I had had something else going on in my head or being blasted at me, I wouldn't have been able to do that kind of baseline creative work. Absolutely. And I feel like that's part of why when I'm even when I'm at home, I'm going to use those noise canceling headphones that I mentioned last week. And that's because I'm not necessarily going to listen to music with them. However, I may cut off the distractions from the outside world. I think it creates this auditory bubble around you where you can be more fruitful and more in your head. It's a little bit like meditation in a way where you're sort of forcing yourself to be in that space and uh, be more productive or more creative and, and think at things a little bit differently. So everyone has their own process. I don't think mine is better than someone else. You got to look at what makes you more fruitful and more creative. Our next question comes from Mike Rogers, and he says, I recently wrote a half-hour crime-slash-horror pilot that was summarily dismissed due to 30 minutes as an awkward length for a crime series. Is it? You know, with streaming programming evolving, do we really need to stick to the strict page counts of the past, or do we now have room to create programming which thinks about that page count last? Will we soon live in a world without time slots? That's a very interesting question, and uh, actually we are going to cover in a, in a future episode sort of uh, revisiting the comedy v drama aspect of where does genre and format fit into that whole discussion in the post-Barry, post-Fleabag world. I will say personally that whatever format rules existed three or four or five years ago are not quite the same as they do now. Yeah, I agree. I think that we are really blending the barriers, not only of tone, but of format. So I think it's possible to write whatever you want in whatever format you want. All that matters is that it's good. I, I will say that you may be disadvantaging yourself in some ways if you are submitting to people who are kind of gatekeepers, whether that is screenwriting competitions, whether that is managers or assistants who are filtering through stuff to see if something is right for whatever. They are looking for almost any excuse to hold something against you. And that could potentially be one of them. They're like, well, this is a crime procedural series, but it's only a half hour. This person doesn't know what they're doing. You know, it's one of those things where once you learn the rules, you can break them. But then there are some people who are still on that level below that thinking this person doesn't know the rules. Well, to that point, I feel like if this is your first sample or one of the, your earlier samples, then you are disadvantaging yourself because that's your calling card. You're only describing yourself as this half hour person who kind of blends the rules, but doesn't quite know the difference between a one hour and a half hour. So personally, I've only just now started working on my first half hour trauma or dramedy, but that's because I've had however many other pilots that were all one hour and I know my format well now. So I bend the rules and break them and expand and explore different things in a way that if you start off blurring those lines in your first or second or even third sample, just starting writing this one hour comedy or half hour drama without really exploring what those formats mean to those different genres, then you are putting yourself in a tough spot. Right. You have to realize that you're painting yourself into a niche. This sample is going to be used to try to put you on shows or get you assignment work or whatever it happens to be. And the closer that it hews to what they're looking for, the better. So you're basically only really allowing yourself to be put up for half hour shows that have a crime or horror element to it. And they're probably going to be expecting to see some comedy in there too. So if this isn't a very joke heavy half hour, and if it is just a straight half hour drama, then every time you get submitted for an hour long drama room, they're going to be like, well, I don't see an hour long spec. I don't know if you can write an hour long format and you get submitted for a comedy room, I'm going to be like, I don't see the jokes in here. So think about, you know, what 
is this going to be my application for a job for and how is it going to help me? Yeah. And to take on that part about the time slots and uh, the strict page count, I will say that even now looking at 2019 Netflix shows, for example, or 2019 Amazon shows, those shows still fit within the 30 page or 60 page framework. Besides something like VOA, which is a very specific kind of show, every other show I can think of, whether it's Master of None or Fleabag or Barry Black Mirror, all those shows fit still within the page format. Now, Black Mirror, in terms of the running time, may be slightly over an hour, but that's akin to an HBO trauma, right? So that still fits within the strict page count. It's not something like 72.5 pages or 22 pages. Those scripts don't exist. And even if they did exist, you got to keep in mind that those are produced episodes by creatives, not a spec sample that you're submitting for staffing. So you got to distinguish those two. Right. I think that once you're an established creator and you are having shows put up on HBO and Netflix and whatever, no one is going to care about the runtime of the episode. But while it's on the page, I think that is still going to be a consideration for people for the time being. Next question from Miranda Ryan, who asks, this might be a bit too me-centric, but I'm moving to Vancouver. So any tips on working, networking, finding a writer's group there would be awesome. Yeah, uh, you came to the right person. I'll try to give you a couple of little tips while I can. I think I may have covered some of this in earlier episodes talking about how I made my way to LA via Vancouver. But essentially, when I moved there, I thought I knew some people in the industry, but it turned out that that didn't actually lead to any jobs anyway. So I just kind of had to start to put myself out there in the most basic way possible, which was there is this thing called the the DGC, the Directors Guild of Canada, they have a website where they post a list of productions. Uh, It's free and available to everyone to look up. And you can literally find the contact information of every production office of every show and movie shooting in Vancouver and the surrounding areas. Look that up, find the emails, find the phone numbers send them your resume, give them a call, ask if you can send a resume if they don't have an email, whatever it happens to be like, they will always need day player PAs, people to come out and go stand on location out in the rain for 12 hours or whatever it happens to be. And that's a good way to get yourself in and working. And then once you meet people through that, you're you're never going to stop working because there's so much production going on up there. That's if you want to be doing PA film TV kind of work. And I recommend doing that at least for a little bit so that you get to know these people. And then once you have that crew of people around you, then you can go shoot short films for film festivals and you can start writers groups or whatever it happens to be because they all want to be doing the same kind of stuff as you. So that's one good way to get in. I know there are a couple of other things. Uh, there's this thing called Story Hive, which is like a funding program kind of thing, kind of like what CW did with the CW Seed or the New Form uh, Incubator type things. And you can apply for funding to sh- go and shoot a short film or a web series or whatever it happens to be. There are uh, live reading groups, I believe there that where you go and submit a script and they'll do like a live reading with uh, for all of that. And there's a bunch of Facebook groups too. I think there's one called Inc. Canada, which is perhaps their equivalent of like our LA TV writers group. It's all Canadian writers talking about stuff like that. Yeah. So I think those are a couple of good places to get started in the, the film industry in Vancouver. I will just give you the caveat that there is not as much creative stuff going on up there. There's a ton of production. If you want to work on a film crew, if you want to get hands-on practical experience, that's amazing. And you will find other creative people around. But in terms of the actual industry side of creativity, uh, it's all down here in LA. And for those curious on other ways you can put yourself out there as a creative and TV writer, we covered that topic in our Putting Yourself Out There episode, which was PT75, where we go over many ways of, well, putting yourself out there from proactive networking to content generation, as well as ways of staying in the loop and in people's minds. So definitely check that episode out. And our last question comes from Paul A. Rose Jr. And he says, how do you get a start in the business when you're too old to be considered a writer's assistant? Well, I'm sure we're going to revisit that topic in deeper length at some point in the future. Uh, I will mention an episode that we did with uh, Jay Holtham, the writer on uh, Cloak and Dagger and uh, now Supergirl. 
uh, called Breaking In as a TV Writer Later in Life, which was PT92, where we discussed at length ways of breaking into the industry when you are maybe older in life and you're not starting out from the assistant side. Yeah, and there are a ton of ways to break in that don't involve being an assistant. It's obviously a great way to get yourself in there, but it's not financially or you know realistically viable for a lot of people who maybe have a family, have a career, have other things that they need to support. But uh, the best way is just going to be to write good stuff and to put it out there, put it into comp- competitions, get uh, the attention of managers, promote yourself online, on Twitter, whatever it happens to be. If you're writing good stuff and people are reading it and liking it, you will find a way to get a start in the industry. You don't have to go through the assistant track. That's just a great way to build relationships. Exactly. And I feel like that's where the writer's assistant track works best is building those relationships, especially on the professional scale. But there are other ways of building that relationship with writers who you may not know, whether it's through networking or reaching out or like you said, competitions, other ways of doing it. In fact, you can listen to I know we keep uh, bringing them up, but you can listen to our writing program series. And they did mention multiple times this idea of what they want out of their writers is life experience. It's not necessarily the writer's assistant track. It's people who've lived other lives, whether it's being a doctor or any kind of lawyer or any field you are working in. I feel like that life experience is very valuable in a writer's room in a way that being a writer's assistant doesn't equate to that experience. Yeah. And that kind of life experience is actually not going to be held against you. It's going to be a benefit. And, you know, you'll actually have have something to write about. So, you know, promote that about yourself and, and make that known that, you know, you've lived an interesting life and you have things to say. Let's talk about some TV writing news. And uh, first of all, did you know that there's a show called The Good Place on NBC? I may have heard of it. We may have discussed it many times oh, before. Man. I don't know. Well, uh, recently it was announced that the upcoming fourth season of The Good Place will be its final season. Yes, I was actually in the room with uh, most of the cast of Good Place and Michael Sherr. What's that? The room where it happened? That was the room where it happened. And they announced it for the first time to everyone. I think it got posted online at the same time because when it came out, it was all over everyone's Facebooks. But uh, I was at the Emmys FYC event for it. And uh, it was obviously a shock to everyone there. But also, in its own way, maybe not as much of a shock because it's always felt like it's been a very deliberate show. And it's always had a very clear vision for where it's going and, and the pacing at which it wants to get there. Mike Sherr talked about during the panel the fact that, you know, he consulted with Damon Lindelof a bunch of times about Lost and how it goes. And one of the things that he mentioned was that he never wanted to be running in place. That's like the biggest problem. And that's what they ran into in Lost was that they weren't really heading in any particular direction. They were just trying to create tension for the sake of tension to pad out the episodes once they got to season three, four, that kind of thing. And so that was something that Mike Sher was always very, very conscious of in the, in the writer's room. And it's a kind of a mantra that they've had amongst the writers is to, to never have that. And he even said that they dropped in a line somewhere directly referencing Lost of we have to go back to kind of pay homage to that idea. So, you know, and I was chatting to him after the panel and he said to him, it kind of feels like college there's four seasons, it's four years, you know, you're going to cry all the way home at the end of it, because you're going to miss everyone and whatever. But you had a great time and you did did what it needed to do. I really appreciate that, especially in the age where we have so many shows, so so much content, I feel like having the the balls, so to speak, to end a show on your own terms is a strength, not a sort of weakness. And I'm glad that Lost existed, if only to further that idea that you can put an end date to a show and fulfill that, especially with something so mythologically 
historically heavy, like The Good Place, where we know that Mike Schur has an idea of where uh, that show was going to finish even as early as the first season. They sort of knew the, the big temples. And so I can definitely respect the idea of, okay, well, we're sending this show up for maybe 50, 40 episodes, and we're going to hit that deadline, and we're going to hit those narrative temples without treading water, which is something I really value in something like The Good Place, which is a show that doesn't tread water. It burns through story. It burns through character in an organic way. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, these days, five-ish seasons is the new 10 season. Seasons anyway, so getting to four seasons, about fifty episodes, uh, is a really strong effort, and and to be able to do that without knowing that you've compromised on anything or you've padded anything, I think is amazing. Well, to that point, I feel like if you look at the way the Good Place has been distributed, it has had a huge success on Netflix, which doesn't really consider the traditional sort of like a hundred episode model of syndication. So that's another testament to the way forward. Now, something like Fleabag is another example of a show that probably is going to only last like maybe two or three seasons. In fact, the gap between the first two seasons was three years. So we're definitely moving to that British format. The next news that we did want to mention was a bunch of rumors concerning UTA possibly acquiring its competitor paradigm. Yeah, I mean, this has been the kind of buzz around town. There have been articles that have come out since saying, oh, there is no deal. This is all just kind of rumors and whatever. But you know, I think it's fairly well known that the trades are in the pockets of the agencies and they're going to publish whatever the agencies want them to publish. So if they don't want people to know that there's a deal, they're going to put out misinformation out there. So we really don't know whether there is or isn't, but there's usually a reason for rumors. There must have at least been discussion or speculation around it. And it's really interesting because in the same way that Disney has been acquiring all of these studios and these things, our agency is going to start to go towards this route too and combining it these even bigger super agencies. It's happened before. That it's what WME is. It's William Morris and Endeavor that merge together. So it, there's a precedent for it. And I think that in this day and age, when they're trying to consolidate their power against both the studios and now against the Writers Guild in these negotiations, I could very much see this happening. I definitely agree that it's very likely either happening or going to happen or in serious talks of happening, just because we are moving to this model where everyone and everything is being consolidated into this megalodon. <laughs> just because that's just the way it is. And uh, this is something that we talked about briefly in uh, the Guild ATA fight. But at some point, the big banks are going to have to be broken. I think that's the same case with those agencies. And that's what the, the Writers Guild is fighting against is not just the fact that they're doing packaging deals, but also the fact that they have all this power wielding over this business. And so at some point, you got to break up those monopolies just because they wield so much power and leverage over the peons. Yeah. And it seems like Paradigm has a lot to gain from being incorporated into this other giant thing. And, you know, UTA needs to start competing against CAA and WME have always been the, the biggest of the two agencies. And, you know, UTA has a lot of strong things. But I think that one of the big things that they're actually looking for in this Paradigm acquisition is their music division. Paradigm is a very successful music side with like Ed Sheeran and a whole bunch of other artists and that kind of thing. So uh, it makes sense in this, this day and age for, you know, these mid-level agencies to be figuring out how do we still stay relevant and the bigger ones to be like, how mm -hmm. do can we compete against someone like WME that, that's now and CAA that are opening their own uh, affiliate studios? And they're, I think WME is now going public. They're doing an IPO and they're sort of in, yep. asking for investors too. So it's kind of- That's, a, that's another reason why it's very dangerous to only look at it from the writer's perspective is because all those huge companies are now relevant to investors and billionaires across the world. And those people don't really value writers, right? We're sort of like the bottom line of that invoice. They don't really look at us as individual needs. So that's why you 
you see all this posturing from the ATA, they want to showcase that posturing to the investors, not just to the guild. I think that's something that a lot of people may not understand. Now, I did want to mention the UTA paradigm thing. Speaking of Ed Sheeran, I feel like during the meeting, they played uh, Shape of You in the background. That's how the, the whole meeting went. <laughs> that would have been amazing. But we'll never know. The Shape of UTA. <laughs> the Shape of UTA, yes. All right. Well, before we go, don't forget that we are now on Patreon. So if you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Paper Team via our Patreon page at paperteam.co slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You'll get exclusive content, opportunities, merch. We have our cheat sheets now. We have our Paper Patron podcast. You get access to exclusive entire episodes that we have just for our patrons as well. So there's a ton of great stuff you can get there, and it helps us to keep producing a great show for you every week. So thanks to our listeners for taking the time to tune in. And you can get all the show notes for this episode at paperteam.co slash 140. As always, I'm on Twitter at TVCalling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. If you have your own questions you would like answered on the podcast, you can always send them to ask at paperteam.co. And what are we doing next week? Uh, next week, we are talking to Charlotte Lauriston, who is a, a great comedy writer. She's written for shows like People of Earth, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, Ghosted. She's on the new Hoops animated series. And uh, she has some really great advice about a, making your career as a writer. So tune in for that. Absolutely. It's going to be a lot of conversations about acting and pitching in the writer's room, which is something that we've covered in the past, but this is going to be more in-depth. So tune in for that next week. All right. Catch you guys later.